Welcome to the Crux Podcast and Sermon of the Week. For more information about the Crux Ministries and Summit Church, please visit us at summitsanmarcos.com. All right, here we go, guys. Before I jump in, I really want to just challenge you guys. This this spot right here, this is the spot. It's like the final lap. Everyone's like already in the mood to kind of just get down the mountain, get going, sleep. Um, and I really want to, before we even start, just really want to challenge you guys to be more hungry than you are tired. <laughs> I really want you guys, because the thing is like, no matter what, you guys are here for at least another hour. You know what I mean? Might as well be hungry, you know? Yeah, last lap, final sprint to that finish line. And here, here's the thing, guys, is like, we can really stir up the hunger, you know? Like some of you guys might have been rocking and rolling and getting encounters all weekend. Some of you guys might still be waiting. Some of you guys might just want more. But wherever you are, want more. Yes. <laughs> want more. He is faithful to feed the hungry ones. <laughs> the hungry ones get fed, right? Surrounding them, can we just say, we are hungry. We choose to be more hungry than we are tired. Thank you, God. All right, I'm just going to pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you so much for this incredible group of amazing young people. Lord, we pray that right now you begin to just open our hearts to you, pierce our hearts, open our ears. Let us encounter you. This is a weekend of encounter, and I don't think you're done yet. Don't let us be done yet either. Don't let us be the cap of what you want to do this weekend. So thank you, God, right now. Be in my words and just uh, really just open up your people to what you're doing this morning. Thank you, God. Amen. All right, team. I am so excited to be here this morning. Um, I wanted to open with a story. Story time. Story time is my favorite time. It's my favorite time. All year, every I think every time I open my mouth, there's a story involved somehow. Like I just I love it. The Lord I think speaks to us so powerfully through stories, and uh, this is one from my own life. I think He kind of spoke through, and it's about well, He was one of my favorite worship leaders ever, right? Ever. <laughs> ever. How many of you guys have heard of Jake Hamilton? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I love this guy. This guy, like Taylor, I think was the one that introduced me to him when he was in YWAM, and I was still in, in school in San Luis Obispo. And I just, I heard this guy's voice, and I heard this guy's passion for the Lord, and I listened to his worship CDs, and they're just the most, like, empowering, like, we're at war in the spirit, let's go, like, plunder hell and take captives and, like, lead people to the Lord, and, like, God is good, and he's bigger than all your junk, and you're bigger than you think you are, and it's just so empowering, and just reminds me as God, of God as, like, the general Lord of Heaven's armies, like, oh, it's amazing. And, like, I just loved this guy, Jake Hamilton. Like, there were moments where I just spent my worship times in my Devo, and I would just listen to him, like, just screaming out over and over again, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Um, And he's just a powerful, powerful, powerful worship leader. Um, And so for years, I just liked him. I liked him a lot. And I I would tell people like Taylor, I'm like, you know, he's one of those people, like, if he said, like, let's go to war, I'd be like, all right, let's go to war. Like, let's do it. Like, I'd follow this guy into war blindly just because, like, he is so passionate for the Lord and just so strong in character with that as far as I've seen. And uh, anyway, years go by. I just always really liked him. Whenever he had a worship CD, I'd I'd listen to it. Anyway, basically, fast forward a couple years of that, um, Taylor, myself, Christy, uh, my wife, Emily, 
And all of our pastors had the opportunity to go a few years back to something called the Revival Alliance Conference over in Pasadena. Where a bunch of like really great speakers from like Bethel and all over the world like come together. And it's just like a weekend conference, kind of like this, of just powerful messages and time of worship, right? With just these amazing uh, spiritual leaders. Um, and I, I roomed with Taylor at the time. And, uh, you know, it was like the morning of like the second day of the conference. I wake up and I look at him. We're like making our bed or whatever. And I'm just like, you know... Like, I'm like, you know what? I think that, I think that Jake Hamilton's no longer my favorite worship leader. He's like, really? He's like, dude, that's intense. He's been your favorite for years. And he's like, yeah, but I'm like, I think the Lord's just really moving me with United Pursuit. Like, I just really yeah. dig them right now. They're just like, like Will Regan and all them, like, they're amazing. And he's like, wow, really? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you know, Jake's been my favorite for a long time, but these guys, like, I'm just so moved by them, you know? And it's just, you know, Taylor's like, really cool. Like, they're awesome too, you know? Well, fast forward a couple hours, we, we all go out after like the lunch conference, we go out to this uh, like burger place in Pasadena, and we're walking in, and it's uh, the four of us and our pastors, and uh, you know, we walk in, and Taylor bumps into Jake Hamilton, right? And, and, and Pastor Taylor actually knows Jake Hamilton, like, like they walked in there and he was like, oh, hey, you know? And I am like thunderstruck, like I'm standing there like right next to them, and I'm just like looking at, looking at him, and I'm like, uh, like, like, like all our pastors are like, looking at me like, what's going on? And then, uh, Emily and I were like a week into dating. Like we, we had just started dating and I am like acting like a, even more of a weirdo than usual. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like stammering and like, like looking all twitchy and like a little pale. And, and Taylor's just having this conversation with Jake Hamilton. Our pastors are talking to them and like, everyone's just kind of chatting. And then they look at me and, and Emily like nudges me like, are you okay? And I'm like, uh. Yeah, she's just like, she's like, are, are you all right? And I literally like pulled out my phone and texted, I am so starstruck, I can't speak, send help. Like, oh no. <laughs> and I'm just like so awkward. And, and like Taylor's like, these are, these are my friends. And he's like, oh, great to meet you. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> like a real weird dolphin or something. I'm like, And anyway, he was just like, well, anyway, you guys have been great. Like, him and Taylor exchanged numbers, and then they went out to lunch, and we went out to lunch. And uh, Taylor looks at me, and he's just like, how funny that we met your hero when he was your second favorite worship leader, right? And I was like, awesome, you know? <laughs> exactly. And so, <laughs> anyway, just fun fact. I do weird stuff when I'm, like, starstruck. Um... Anyway, the reason I brought up this story this morning is because I really want to talk about that. We've had a well, weekend of encounters, but I want to talk about what do we do with our encounter? Like, like I waited years to meet this guy. Like he was like someone I listened to all the time. And then I finally like, like really encountered him. And I finally had a chance to do something about it. And I was like, flipper the weird dolphin. Like, you know, like, when I could have been like, thank you for your music, man. Like, or like gotten to know him or something. Um, but I really want us to just talk this morning about like, what do we do with our encounters? What do we do once we've been encountered? How do we handle being encountered? And, and what, is, what does that do to us? You know? yeah. um, so I really wanted to dive into that this morning. And again, I want to challenge you guys. There's still more food on the table. The Lord still wants to encounter you this morning. I'm a really big fan of when I speak every so often, just telling people, if the Holy Spirit's got your attention with something, just chase him. Like, chase him down in the middle of me speaking. You can zone me out. I don't, like, 
dude, like freedom, you know? Um, and so this morning, I just really want you guys to encounter the Lord. That is what I want more than almost anything. Um, so if he's encountering you, just, just roll with it. Um, you're in a free environment. You're in a safe environment. And like, even as a speaker and a leader here, I just like release you to like, just take yeah. it, you know? Um, but that being said, I, I did bring a word this morning. I, I was just reminded... I was just thinking, like, how do we talk about what, what happens when the Lord encounters us? How do we talk about how we're supposed to behave with it? You know, and for me, I immediately went to the disciples. I immediately went to the people that followed Jesus during his couple years of ministry here. And I immediately just thought about, like, what happened when their lives intersected with Jesus? What happened to them? You know, like, can you trace the story? And I was thinking about this group of just fishermen and laymen, and people that just were salt of the earth, they had their day jobs, they had their traditions, they had their own lives, and then Jesus shows up, you know? And I was thinking specifically about Peter, you know? I was thinking about how the Lord found him one day. Peter, you have to remember, he, he lives in a culture where, you know, fish, like living by the Sea of Galilee, fishermen's and like the fishing trade is just like, it's important. It's a necessary staple. It's a part of life. It's not like the highest on the food chain, but it's not the lowest of the low rent jobs. It's a very, very important trade at the time. And they're right next to the, to a sea, you know? And the other thing about these jobs, fishermen back then, kind of like fishermen now, they are brawny, intense people. They are people that really need to work hard for their living. Fishermen have a a tough, have you guys seen Deadliest Catch? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It, it is a tough go. And I think that even back then it was the same thing. They had to be used to the high seas, storms, weather. They had to figure out uh, patterns of fish movement, the best way to capture them, how to get their crew, how to do it, when to do it, all, all these things. Um, you know, and the, the other thing about this culture is, you, you know, some people have like a family business, right? Like if you're, if you're, Dad was a business owner. Sometimes you go into the family business, whatever, things like that. Um, back in this culture, that was even more so. Like if your father did it, you were doing it. If your father did it, your grandfather did it. It was like, hey, we're the line of fishermen. That's what we do, you know? It's how we know Jesus was like a carpenter because Joseph was a carpenter. You know, he probably did that at some point growing up. Um, same thing with these fishermen. All their lives, you know, they probably saw their dad going out there doing the fisherman thing. Grandpa was probably out there doing the fisherman thing as far back as they could trace. They were fishermen. That's what they were doing. And in a culture where you followed after the family business, I don't think that there was a moment where they thought, what am I going to do with my life? <laughs> it was like, I'm going to be a fisherman. I better probably get good at that. <laughs> you know, I better just get ready for this life that's in front of me. And this is what it's going to look like. It's right here. <laughs> And that's when Jesus walks into their life. And this passage is out of Matthew 4, verse 18 through 20. It says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. I love this story for a couple of reasons. I love this story because this is like the first time that Jesus intersects with some of his disciples, namely like Peter is one of them. And he basically sees them. He meets them exactly where they were at. You know, they were doing their trade. They were doing their day to day. They were, they were met right where they were at in life. And Jesus walks in and he said, oh, cool. I see you over there. You should follow me. <laughs> You know, I love that. I love that they didn't go to a church first to meet Jesus. Not that you can't do that, obviously. Praise God. I, but I love that literally Jesus went to them right where they were at, and he said, "Hey, come follow me." I like more than that too. What he tells them: "Come with me, and I'll show you how to be fishers of men." 
I wonder what's going through their heads. I wonder if he says, okay, well, there's still kind of fissure in there. Maybe that can be something I actually do. You know, or maybe they're confused. Like, what does that even mean? Or maybe they're thinking, that sounds different than what I've done every day. I want to try that. <laughs> I'm not sure. But I love that the way Jesus called them, they just said, okay, I'm going to follow. Okay, I'm going to drop. I love, I love that like, we just drop our nets and follow. Like, literally, it's like the equivalent of, like, let's, let's say you're doing your, I, I don't know. Like, let's say you work retail, and you're, like, at the cash register, and you're sitting there, and Jesus is like, hey, we should go over here. And you're like, okay, and you just, like, leave it. Like, leave everything. Like, don't, like, log out. Leave, you know, the drawer is still open. And you're like, okay, I'm, I'm like, let's go, Jesus. Like, no. like which, by the way, that's like, like, don't do that. But, like, I mean, well, unless Jesus tells you, go for it. But, like, it's like that equivalent of, like, they left their nets and just followed him. You know, and I love that that's what they do with an encounter. And this is the beginning of Jesus's ministry when he's gathering his crew and these guys barely know who this guy is, but they know in the invitation that he's enough that we have to see what this is about, you know. And, and as, uh, as uh, I think Pastor Taylor talked about the other night of Peter walking on water, like this is just one of the things that these guys got to see over the ministry of Jesus. Yeah. With Jesus, they not only got to see miracles, they got to do miracles with him. Not only did they get to see people getting free from just junk and get to see people get delivered from just so much bad stuff, they got to be part of that too. They got to walk with him. They got to hear his teaching. They got to be moved by him. You know? And then we, we fast forward to the, the night of Pentecost. And all that is, is after Jesus actually died on the cross, and then after he resurrected like he said he would, he told them, hey, I'm actually going to go back to heaven. I'm going to ascend back to heaven. But don't worry. Stay right here. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and it's actually better that I go because then you get the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that raised me from the dead, this, my spirit is going to come and be inside you. And that is actually better that I go so that you can get him. And so we, we just want to read real quick about Pentecost here. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. I, I just, I love this. I can't even imagine. Like the Lord says, like, wait for the Holy Spirit. And like, oh, okay. And then he leaves. It's like, oh, wait, we forgot to ask him. What does that look like? Like, what, what does that mean? Like, like when? You know? It turns out he came like tongues of fire and these guys just like got hit like a righty wind, you know? You know, but sometimes the Lord comes like fire. Sometimes he comes like rain. You know, he comes how he wants. Um, but I love after this, it basically says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Because at Pentecost, they were making such a, a ruckus when all this stuff was going on, that crowds started to gather in front of the building where the Holy Spirit fell. And it says, Peter stood up and he said, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Yeah. Tequila, not tequila. When the Holy Spirit fell, it says people started speaking in tongues. They started prophesying. They started moving with the Spirit. They started just loudly just worshiping and pouring out and manifesting and just basically letting the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. You know, we got some taste of that this weekend. You know, as people really just engaged in worship, as people had some floor time or some giggle times or some, 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 some inner healing time, you know, we made some noise. I guarantee the, the ladies stitching group is probably like, what is going on up the hill? You know, we, we made some noise. And that's basically what happened with them. The Holy Spirit fell and he was just like, 
I should probably go talk to these people. Hey, we're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. <laughs> he, but he, he's getting to the point of like, I know we seem crazy to you, but we're not drunk as you suppose. We're actually drunk in the Holy Spirit. We're actually filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. We just had an encounter. And it goes on from there. And basically, as Peter has their attention now, he just starts preaching the gospel. He starts telling people about Jesus. He, he talks to people about the old scriptures and then what Jesus did to fulfill them. He's, he basically says, we killed him. He came back, but he's the Lord of all. He just starts testifying to these crowds. Later on in the same chapter, this is Acts 2, he says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I just love how radical this is. What do we do with encounters? What did Peter do when he was hit by the Holy Spirit? What did he do when after like knowing some stuff about the Lord, but really encountering him in new ways and really having his spirit now, what does he do? He's changed by it. He's moved by it. Literally, the first thing he does is stand up and testify to this whole crowd. You know? I don't know that Peter did that a ton before. <laughs> no. I don't know that he did it like this before. You know? I love, not too long after this, uh, Peter and one of the other apostles, uh, John, one of the other followers of Jesus, they're, they're just walking around the city. They're about to go to temple, right? They're about to go to church, basically. And it says, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. At three in the afternoon. It says, Now a man who was lame, which means kind of, kind of crippled, from birth was being carried to the temple gate, which was called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. He looks down and he just says, Hey, look at us. Peter says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. It says, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. It says, then he went in with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Yeah, jump. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This was out of Acts 3. I love this story. What do you do with an encounter? My whole point this morning is that what we do with encounters is we become the encounter. Yeah, come on. How do we be the encounter? <laughs> They're hit with the Holy Spirit. Peter just starts testifying. They're hit with the Holy Spirit, and it invades the lives that they used to live. They were just going to church one morning, <laughs> just like maybe other mornings. Mm -hmm. And they see this guy who says he's at the temple gate like every week doing this. But Peter does something different this week. <laughs> Peter and John do something different this week. When they had the encounter, they behaved differently. He said, look at us. He says, look, I'm not going to give you what I don't have, but what I have, I'm going to give to you. So walk. They saw Jesus as a miracle-working God. They saw him heal. They saw him move mightily. They saw him speak truth and love and really collide into people's life when there was a need. 
And I love, what I love, one of the things I love about God is he gives the people what they need, you know? What we need is always what he has, you know? That's why when he, when, I believe when Peter and John looked at this, this, this beggar, they were probably thinking, you don't really need money right now. What you really need is to be healed. <laughs> what you really need is some Jesus. <laughs> Not that people don't need money. I'm all about giving money to people that need it, you know? But I think that they, in this moment, knew that they had something more to give. Oh, silver, gold, we don't have that. What we do have, it's all yours. You have access to what we have. Here it is. Be healed. You notice how they are encountered by Jesus. They see his example. They see his works. They're filled with his spirit. And then they start behaving like him. They start going out and they start being that same encounter that they saw demonstrated to them. And then what happens? That man has an encounter. <laughs> that man, did you notice it said he started to jump up, he started to praise God, and then he went to church with them. <laughs> How often do we wish we could bring more people to church with us? More people in need, more people that we just want to see what we found. <laughs> but do we give them what we found? <laughs> I don't know why we expect them to come and see what we found if we don't offer what we found. Why should we expect them to come and see what we found unless we give them what we found? And I think there's a difference between, you know, casting pearl before swine like that other verse versus like really sharing the love of God (laughs) and the gospel of the Lord and the healing of God. And I love that when they saw this beggar that was in the same spot, they came to him. They didn't wait for the beggar to come over to him. Like Jesus modeled when he walked out to the shore and said, hey, you guys follow me. They walked right up to this beggar and said, let me give you everything I have. And then the beggar followed. Come on. That week that beggar went to church. That week that guy testified. It says many people recognized him as that cripple in front of the gate. And he's over there jumping and praising the Lord. And even as that guy had an encounter, he's now becoming an encounter because he is testifying to all the people around yeah. by yeah. walking in his healing, by walking in the way that he was met by the Lord which was to be healed. Do we see even in this example how when we are encountered and when we become the encounter, we keep it going? And the Lord's always encountering people in new ways, but when we become the encounter, we perpetuate the encounter. Mm -hmm. We keep it going. I just love that. Another guy that was really encountered... (laughs) was the Apostle Paul, right? For you guys that maybe don't know the story as well or want a little bit of a refresher, this guy used to be a guy named Saul. And he was something called a Pharisee, which means he was one of the biggest religious leaders. But it was an institution that had become corrupt, that had become hypocritical, that had become so exclusionary that it pushes the people that want to know about the Lord down instead of inviting them in and really teaching them in a way that they can understand. It's about a people that become so legalistic and twisted and corrupted that when Jesus shows up and Jesus walks up to the religious leaders that represent his God, they don't recognize him. They reject him. They help kill him. (laughs) This is who Saul was. And one day Saul was on the way to go persecute Christians, to persecute this new church. And the Lord appeared to him in a blinding light, knocked him off off his horse. And Jesus shows up and just says, hey, Paul, Or Saul, why are you persecuting me? (laughs) Why are you hurting me, man? (laughs) And he said, who are you? (laughs) Who are are you? (laughs) 
And just like all the other Pharisees during the life of Jesus that missed out on who he was, Paul, Saul had no idea who knocked him off of his horse. He says, it's me. It's Jesus, the one you're persecuting. After this encounter, Paul is blinded. Paul finds a Christian, the guys that he's trying to stop. The Christian shows him hospitality and love in spite of himself. Paul gets his sight back, and Paul gets the Lord. (laughs) Saul becomes Paul. He gets a new name, a new calling. And Paul goes on to be one of the most gnarly, missional apostles, writer of the Bible. Like half of your New Testament is written by this guy. A guy who had such a radical encounter and then became such a radical encounter. Paul's the same one that in, in, in one of his epistles, which is one of his letters, one of the books of the Bible in the New Testament, Paul actually says... Hey, you guys in this church, you should imitate me as I imitate Christ. Talk about being an encounter. He says, I was encountered, but his life had been so transformed by that encounter, he felt bold enough to say, hey, you should look at me and imitate me, because I'm imitating Christ. Bless you. Bless you. I love that. I want to read you something else that Paul wrote in, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, beginning. It says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourself together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. It's Ephesians 4, 1 through 4. I love what Paul says. He just says, I beg you guys. He's talking to this group. I beg you Christians. I beg you guys. Live a life worthy of the calling you have. Live a life worthy of the encounter you just got. Live a life worthy of what he's shown you. Live a life worthy of what he's taught you. Live a life that's worthy of what he gave up for you. I beg you. And then he gives tips to do that. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowances for each other's faults. Mm -hmm. We're one body. We're one church toward one glorious future. And I think that this is still such a loud message to the church as we have so many denominations and divisions. We need to remember, hey... Make some allowances for each other's fault. Come together. Bind yourself with peace and unity. We're one body. Live a life worthy of your calling. You know, and that's something Jesus modeled as well with his group of disciples. He had a very diverse group of people. You had people like Paul that's super educated. You had people like tax collectors that were just reviled, but not necessarily dumb. (laughs) You had people like fishermen that were just these salt of the earth doing what they could do. You had other leaders. You had just... People all over the place. And Jesus managed to unify them with one goal, one purpose. I love that Paul says, now you go be that. Be that unity. Be that encounter. Live a life that's worthy of it. You know? And he's been doing this all the time. Like, I even started thinking about Old Testament, right? I was thinking about, I was thinking about the story of Gideon, right? Out of Judges 6. The story of Gideon, basically, this is a time in Israel's history where they were getting persecuted by a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of outside forces. You know, they've captured the land that the Lord's given them, the promised land. Ju- uh, Joshua helps lead this, this victory. They actually have the land. They're, they're this little area. 
but you have all these warring factions and peoples and nations and groups that are trying to oppress them and take them down. And the story of Judges is how that happens. The Lord raises someone off, fights them off. Israel gets into sin. The oppressor rises up, kind of oppresses them. God raises someone else up when they repent to help Israel again. And Gideon's one of these people. At this time, there was a group of people called the Midianites that were coming in and they were oppressing the people of Israel. They were trying to take over. They were trying to go to war. They were trying to do all these things. And it says one day, basically, God talks to this guy Gideon. He finds him in something that's essentially like a wine press. If you look into it a little bit more, you almost get this feeling that Gideon's trying to almost hide from these people around him. Yeah. They find, the Lord finds Gideon almost in an act of hiding and cowardice. And he encounters Gideon and says, hey, mighty man of valor, we have work to do. You know, I don't think, I don't think the Lord is being sassy. I don't think he's trying to be snippety. I, I really think the Lord is actually calling out of Gideon who he's made him to be. I think the Lord's trying to have an encounter with Gideon so that Gideon can be the encounter that the Lord's spoken to him. Because nothing the Lord says returns void. There's a verse in scripture that says that. What does that mean? It means he doesn't say something that does nothing. So when the Lord says to Gideon, as he's in a place of cowardice, as he's in a place of defeat, as he's in a place of hiding, he says, mighty man of valor, we have work to do. <laughs> this is, of course, the Dominic paraphrase version. But then what happens, Gideon actually rises up. He actually demonstrates great courage, and he actually helps liberate God's people from the Midianites. There's even moments where he actually gets up a pretty impressive army and the Lord's like, this is way too big to take on this enemy. Mm-hmm. And Gideon's like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> we're overrun. These guys are so much bigger. And he's just like, no, no, no. If you beat them now, they're going to think it's because of your army. We need to whittle this down so they know I'm with you. <laughs> How much stupid courage do you need to do something like this? You're, you, you went from hiding to now you're just the general over this army of people. And the Lord says, you need to make this group a lot smaller to fight this huge horde of enemies. And what do you even tell them, the people you inspired? Y'all just go home. Yeah. I think that this takes a lot of stupid courage. I think this takes a lot of valor to actually do what the Lord says. And the Lord has this little test that basically whittles Gideon's people down to, I think, about 300 or something like that. To take down this whole, this whole army group. And why does Gideon do it? Because the Lord called him a mighty man of valor. And the Lord kept calling him that. And the Lord kept showing him what to do. Mm-hmm. And so Gideon did it. Yeah. And he leads these people to victory. He becomes a judge. He becomes a deliverer for the people. He became a man of valor. Mm-hmm. He's known in the Bible now, thousands of years later, as a man of valor. Mm-hmm. And it started with an encounter. The Lord, again, even in the Old Testament, shows up right where this guy was at. In his shame, in his hiding, in his cowardness, in his fear. And he says... You're a man of valor. You're mine. Let's do this. <laughs> and then Gideon chooses to become that. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I want to share a little bit of my testimony this morning because this message really matters to me. <laughs> this message is literally, I think, the reason I'm a Christian today. <laughs> this message of being encountered, becoming the encounter. You see, I, I grew up kind of actually with Pastor Taylor. We went to the same school from about kindergarten to 12th grade. Like, we graduated high school from the same school. Really small, yeah, really small environment. Graduating class of like 64, you know. Um, real tiny, you know. 
And you know, it was a Christian school, which means every week we had a chapel day. Every day of the week we had a Bible class. And then church on Sundays. You know, I, I said the little sinner's prayer. I gave my life to the Lord when I was about five years old when I heard the gospel. And it was great. <laughs> and I held on to that for a little while. My mom told me a story that like one day, like pretty soon after I got saved, I just basically said, Mom, we need to come to church. She's like, what? I was like, Mom, you need to give your life to Jesus. <laughs> and that's how my mom found the Lord. Like literally, I just came home and I was like, I grabbed her hands. I was like five or six. And I was like, hey, pray with me. And she just started crying. And she just like gave her life to the Lord, right? Like that's amazing. That's like amazing to me, right? And I think that that like just shows how the Lord really like saved me, you know? But then what began to happen is in our school, God bless it, like, it's such a resource now. Like, Taylor and I had the advantage of, like, so much biblical teaching and such amazing character models with some of our teachers that they staffed. Such amazing demonstrations of what godly character looks like and even just biblical teaching. However, I think one drawback, and that might be more of my fault than theirs, this class, the Bible classes we have, they were so rarely about your spiritual development. And they were so much more about memorizing facts and verses and dates and context. All a really amazing thing, but what began to happen is for me, Bible class just became history class 2.0. <laughs> the spirit in that for me was dead because we weren't engaging it spiritually. We were engaging it just like logically and just intertextually, like what's going on in the Bible here. What began to happen too is that I started to, my view of Christianity started to bend to kind of accept how that class was kind of developed, where I saw Christianity as two things. I saw it as a history, like a history class, and I saw Christianity as a social clique. It became very evident to me what church friends and what Christian school friends were like when I started making some that weren't, you know? Christianity, the social clique. And I was comfortable in the social clique. I grew up in the social clique. It was the clique I knew. I clicked in real well. (laughs) But my Christianity became not about my relationship with God at all. <laughs> it didn't become about my encounters because I wasn't really having encounters. I wasn't looking for encounters. And I grew up from 5 to 18 years old feeling like, look, I know the Bible. I've studied it every day for like, I don't know, 13 years. <laughs> you know, If anyone knows it, I know it. I've been to church. I've been to the church camps. I've gotten the tinglys and I've come down and it's disappeared. <laughs> I know what Christianity is. It's a fun social clique. It's some fun history, but it's not affecting me today. It's not affecting my life. I'm not letting it affect my life. Just like I don't really let George Washington affect my life. That's right. That's right. I mean, like, he founded our country, yay, but, like, it's not doing something for me today. Even his money, like, one dollar, what am I going to do with this? Like, hey. Come on, George. But I'm just saying, like, that's what I did with Christianity. You know? I can't even get a burger for that because of your taxes. I went, I went to college, right? I went to college in San Luis Obispo at Cal Poly. I got accepted with early admission, like an early admission into mechanical engineering, which was one of their most prestigious and impacted majors. And it was everything I wanted to do. Everything. I was living the dream, and I get there, and I know just about no one at this school. Just about no one. Maybe three or four total, and those people I rarely ever saw. And I get there, and for the first time in my life, after being in this little Christian bubble of 60 people my entire life, where they remember me, remember me as the kid, like, licking his boogers and five years old, all the way until I was graduating. You know what I mean? Like, like it was such a stifling environment sometimes. And suddenly, 
I was a man and I was free and I got to pursue my goals, my dreams, my, my passion, which was engineering. I got to be somewhere beautiful, somewhere far away. I got to be on my own, you know? I got to do it all my way. And I get there and very quickly I realize that my Christianity was so um, circumstantial. <laughs> my Christianity was so much based on the people that was around me. It was my school's faith. It was my church's faith. It was my friend's faith. It was no longer my faith. I no longer remembered encounters. I no longer let it do anything. You know, all the stuff I knew about the Bible kind of just became like the stuff I know about history. <laughs> it's the best way I can think of to how to describe that. Like, do I, do I know about the War of 1812? Yeah, sort of. Sometimes something about this, and yeah, cool, they won, and you know, the end. Like, <laughs> that's how it was for Bible facts for me. It was like, yeah, I kind of know this stuff, but it's not, it's whatever. And, you know, I'm, I'm, living, I'm living my own life up there, and I'm not making great choices. <laughs> I end up with some roommates that are a little bit different than what I'm used to, you know? Like, like, I went from, like, this isolated little Christian community to, like, my roommate, like, cooking drugs on our stove and say, if I say anything, he's going to stab me in my sleep. And, like, this is a different kind of environment, you know what I mean? Yeah, wake up, guys. <laughs> my environment was so different, and I surrounded myself with the people that were near me, you know? I surrounded myself into the college culture because that was the culture that was around me. I wanted connection, I wanted friends, I wanted to feel like I was my own person doing my own things with no one, whatever. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, and I made bad choices. You know, and I also got really into my studies, really into all the science of everything, and I, I finally decide that, you know, everything I've ever believed growing up with Christianity has been a lie. <laughs> I get to this point, not too soon into college, where I realize I've been believing in a fairy tale. <laughs> Some people believe in, like, the Paul Bunyan story or Johnny Apples. Like, I felt like that was Christianity. I felt like the whole world pulled this thing in front of my eyes, and I just, I felt stupid. I felt stupid for believing in a fairy tale. I felt stupid for believing in a dead history. <laughs> and I was angry. <laughs> I had classes where they said God is a joke. I had peers that say religion is laughable. <laughs> You can't quantify it. It's not real. <laughs> and I believed it because for so long, what Christianity was was not Christianity to me. <laughs> and I was mad. Because the one thing I was good at, I was pretty good with school. <laughs> I was pretty good with science. I was pretty good with math. I was pretty good with numbers. And from that place, I felt smart. <laughs> I had so much of my identity wrapped up in that. And the worst thing for me, my biggest pride point was like, if I feel stupid, I'm going to get real mad. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I couldn't have been madder at any group in the world than the church. <laughs> because I'm like, this institution has made me feel stupid. <laughs> I don't believe it anymore. I don't think it's true anymore. I don't even think it's consistent anymore. I don't think it was ever true. And I think the people that crusade for that are idiots. <laughs> A couple more months into that, I was full on just, I don't think there's a God anymore. <laughs> I don't think that there ever was. I think I got the warm and tinglys at night like I did for the tooth fairy. <laughs> I don't think it's real. 
And I made bad choice after bad choice. I, I started to manipulate people. I started to lie to people just because I wanted to do what I wanted to do. <laughs> I wanted to be the cool guy for once, so I did this over here. I wanted to be the funny guy over here, so I did these kinds of jokes over here. I, I, and then there was one group that was really nice, but they were all Christian. So I'm like, I can fake the Christian thing. I've done it my whole life. <laughs> I'll be that here. And all of a sudden, I was all of these different things to all these different people, and it felt like everything out of my mouth was a lie. <laughs> and it did a lot to empty me <laughs> in those months of college. I stopped talking to my family. I didn't talk to friends from back home. I was just in it, you know. And for the first time in my life, I started to notice that I started to not really feel much of anything, which wasn't totally usual for me. <laughs> Weeks would go by and I wouldn't cry anymore, even though at night I'd feel horrible. <laughs> feeling like there was no God, feeling like there was no purpose, feeling like there was no point for much of anything. I threw everything behind my schooling, behind my dreams, behind my career goals. And at night I would just feel empty. <laughs> Once the textbooks were closed, I just felt nothing. <laughs> it was like a vacuum. <laughs> and I would just bounce around to all of these different social groups. I'd bounce around all these different classrooms. And I did day in, day out like this, doing more and more stuff that I was not really proud of, but didn't really care anymore, you know? I think one of the worst things was this group of Christians I hung out with, where I just pretended to do the Christian thing. I pretended to be sweet as can be. I pretended to care about them. <laughs> and they believed me, you know? They baked me cookies. <laughs> they invited me to hang out. And I was just lying to them when I said I cared about them. <laughs> I was lying to them that I really cared much about anything at that point. <laughs> I wanted free food. I wanted friends. And I remember one night I was at this group of friends' house, and one of them, it was a girl, her name was Erin, she comes back from a party or something, and she is bawling her eyes out. Like, like uh, irreconcilable, like just bawling her eyes out. And we're like, what's going on? And she said, my car got broken into, they took my purse, you know. And immediately, what does Dom do? Dom springs into action. I will be that shoulder to cry on. I, I'm, I'm here, what do you need? Like, do you want me to, what do you want? I'll do whatever. You're amazing, I'm here for you, what can I do? And it was like the first time in like six months, it was like someone looked at me for real. <laughs> Because the look on her face after, after six months of being a good friend, where she trusted me with stuff and was just really cool, it was like she saw me for I real, really was, and she just looks at me and says, you can't help me with anything. Wow. There's not a single thing you could do to help me. Oh. And she looked afraid of me. Yeah. And all I said was, I can help you. you know? And I remember being so struck because I felt like someone actually saw me. <laughs> mm -hmm. I felt like she actually knew I was not being genuine. And all the other friends didn't know. They're like, oh, you're rude, whatever. And I, I just said, hey, it's okay, guys. Like, I'm going to give you some space. Let me know if you need anything. I'll, it's okay. And I walk out of the room, and I punch the wall. Dang. And I said, who the hell does she think she is talking to me like that? And I get mad. I get so mad. <laughs> I get angry. Where does she get off? <laughs> who does she think she is to talk to me like that? But I am messed up at this point. <laughs> For some reason, this interaction has really shaken me bad. I feel like I've been seen, and I feel like I've been rejected, and I feel 
just ugly. <laughs> and I'm in the hall and I'm crying now and I'm like wiping my eyes and I'm so mad at myself and I can't figure out why I'm crying. And I'm like mad at myself and I'm like, I'm so stupid. Like, why am I crying? And then I just start running. <laughs> it's like 10 or 11 at night. I just start running. Just, I don't even know where. I'm just running. Like away. <laughs> away from their apartment. Away from my apartment. Away. <laughs> I'm just running and crying and running and crying. And I'm so mad. <laughs> and I'm upset. And I don't know why I'm upset. And my brain is so frustrated at that. That I just don't get why. <laughs> And I find myself in this random field, this random like, park that was sort of on the edge of campus, and, I, and I'm just sitting there. And the stars are out, and no one else is. <laughs> and it's around 11 o'clock, and I don't know what is happening with me. But I've never felt worse about anything in my whole life. <laughs> and I realized I wasn't mad at her, I'm mad at me. <laughs> Why am I mad at me? Because I'm garbage. <laughs> And I'm, I'm I, I like, I, I've never, like I grew up and I struggled with self-hatred. I, I struggled with rejection. I struggled, struggled with fear of failure and failure itself. And, and I never hated myself more than that moment. I felt ineffective. I felt like a waste of space. I felt like a joke. I felt powerless. I felt alone. And I felt so angry. And for the first time in my life, even though like in high school I struggled with a little bit of depression, and like I said, I struggled with some self-hatred and some anxiety, my whole life I never wanted to die. <laughs> I never wanted to be suicidal. I never, I never even considered it. I was so good to just be the grumpy old man on the top of the hill, just ranting at humanity below like a Grinch or something. I was, I was so ready to be that, but I never thought I'll take my life. <laughs> and this was the first night I wanted to die. <laughs> And I wanted to die, not because I didn't want to feel anymore, not because I didn't want to exist anymore, but because I wanted the world to be better. <laughs> and I was sure that if I was on it, it was worse. <laughs> I was sure I was making it worse. I knew I was making it worse. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just crying. And I found this bench, and I'm just crying. And I just want to die, and I don't know <laughs> what to do about it. But I just, I don't want to be here anymore. It was like suddenly, after not feeling anything for like six months, I felt everything at once. And all of a sudden, I felt guilt and shame and all these things I didn't think actually existed in a world without a God. And I felt all of it. And it was crushing. <laughs> and I didn't have people to retreat back to because I cut off so many important relationships in my life in this period. I didn't have a God to come back to because I didn't believe in it anymore. I didn't have friends, period, up there to go to. <laughs> it wasn't real. <laughs> there wasn't roots. There wasn't security. There wasn't real relationship there at all. And I felt like I had no one in the whole world. <laughs> And I just start talking to myself and screaming at myself in this field, just saying, I want to die. No one has been as gross as I am. <laughs> and I might not have looked like the worst human being in the world, but I knew how I was on the inside. 
I knew I was the worst because I knew my motives behind everything. I knew the motives behind everything I said, every lie out of my mouth, every fake relationship. I knew how I manipulated. I knew how I didn't care. I knew how I just tried to use people for a good time, for fun, for a place to be. And I knew what I was doing to them. I was making it worse. <laughs> I was making them worse people. Egging them on, tearing them down. I was stirring it up and that's just who I was. <laughs> and I was not okay with that all of a sudden, <laughs> it turned out. And I was just breaking down. There was times where I wasn't even thinking. It was just like dead air and me just like sobbing into this grass. <laughs> And I lost track of time, and this is about one in the morning now, and I just cannot stop crying. And I remember just, just, just screaming, I wish it could just all be like six months ago. <laughs> I wish I could just turn back time and do it differently. I wish, I wish more than anything it could just be six months ago. I wish I didn't make this my life. And then I have a thought come through my head. A thought clear as a bell that just says, this is who you've always been. You just had an environment where it could grow. <laughs> and I knew it was true and I just broke even more because I said, then there's nothing I could even retreat back to. <laughs> there's no system restore. There's no like weird, like let's just forget it all and just try to go back six months ago. I'll cut off these relationships, start again, and just be normal. <laughs> it says, no, this is always in your heart. <laughs> this is always there. You just had an opportunity to let it grow, to let it fester, to feed it, and to let it become this. And I thought, I don't have anything to retreat back to because who I've always been has been broken somehow. <laughs> I can't be me anymore because me is this. <laughs> given enough time for my actions and my words and my relationships to grow the fruit, <laughs> this bitter, bitter fruit of my life, this is who I am, given root. <laughs> there is no me that's good enough to retreat back to because I am this. It will inevitably lead to this. This is what is in me. And I didn't want to be me anymore. I didn't want to be anymore. And I'm still just crying and I'm still trying to process. And I just, I, I think that like, I just, I'm probably going to die soon. And I remember thinking like, I don't, I wish I could have been something better, <laughs> you know? I wish I could have been someone that when they felt like a victim and things were broken in and taken from them, they felt comforted. <laughs> I wish I could have been warm. I wish I could have been a better man. <laughs> I feel like such a waste. <laughs> I'm like reflecting on my whole life. I'm like, I feel like such a waste. And I'm heartbroken because I think about the people that like believed I was someone better than I was. And I felt like I was lying to them too because I'm not a good person. <laughs> you know? And I just kind of kept thinking. And then I had this funny thought. I was like, you know, who could I, who would I have wanted to be? You know, if it wasn't me, if I wasn't considering about to kill myself right now, if I, if I wasn't me, who, who would I have wanted to be? You know? 
And it was like for the first time in so long, I thought about Jesus. <laughs> that character in that fictional book I read one time, right? I just remembered all the stories. I remembered all. I remembered all of it. <laughs> I remembered these miracles. I remembered these, these healings. I remember how people left him feeling like their lives had been changed for better. I remember how he taught them. I remember how he walked with them. I remember how he gave up everything for them. I remember reading these moments where he was tired <laughs> in his humanity. He was just tired from doing so much. And it says he would look out at people and he would see that there was a need. He would see all these broken people and think, it's like they're sheep without a shepherd. <laughs> it's like they need to be taken care of. And I thought about this fictional character and I thought like, he was good. <laughs> Thanks. And I wasn't, I wasn't seeing God, Jesus. I was seeing man, Jesus. I was seeing the character of Jesus. And I'm like, man, he was so good. Man, his reactions were real. His compassion was real. His inner, his, the way he met broken people was real. They left healed, they left changed, they left better. This is what he brought to him, to them with his life. This is who he was. And I remember in this moment feeling like such an idiot and I was crying, but I was like, I wish I could have been like Jesus. I remember just screaming out, I wish that he was real. <laughs> I wish that he was real. I wish that Christianity was real. I wish that everything was real. I wish that there was a hope. I wish that this was true. I wish more than anything that I could just believe in the stories. I wish that there was a God. I wish that there was a God-man who loved like he did. That had the power and the goodness to love like he did. More than anything in the whole world. I wish that was true. And then I, I felt like I knew something else. I felt like I just heard, you realize all this time you've been talking and screaming out here, you've been praying. <laughs> I'm crying and I'm yelling and I'm laughing. I'm like breaking. <laughs> and I just, how can I be praying to something that doesn't exist? <laughs> Why would I pray if I don't believe? <laughs> why do I feel this if I don't believe? Why do, why do I even have these thoughts if this isn't a thing? Why? Why am I doing this? And it was like the last of me was just like all wedged up in my head being like, no, nope, no, nope, this isn't right. This logically doesn't track. And I was breaking. <laughs> wow. And then it was like one moment... I just knew he was real. <laughs> I knew that he was more than what I had ever believed he was. And I knew he was right there. 
it was like there was a shift in me and all of a sudden I just believed all of it. And so I got down and I laid on my back in this field around two in the morning and I looked up at the sky because the only God I ever knew was getting ready to hit me with a lightning bolt. <laughs> and I was afraid because I knew God was real and God would be pissed. <laughs> right? <laughs> if God is real, then he's seen everything I've done. He knows every thought that's been in my head, every word that's come out of my mouth, every action, every inaction. And he's going to be pissed. <laughs> he's going to be pissed of how I've hurt the people he's made. He's going to be really pissed about what I've said about his church recently. He's going to be furious. <laughs> I really thought he was going to hit me with a lightning bolt. Like, I really believed it. I remember I had this thought. I was like, you know, in the moment that he kills me dead, it's probably going to be the best moment of my life. <laughs> because he's going to be right there. <laughs> And that's not good theology, and that's not good understanding of who this God actually is. But it's what I believed about God. And all I knew in that moment is like, well, if he kills me, that's a moment that him and I are doing something together. <laughs> and I think that that might actually be the best moment of my whole life. <laughs> and so I laid there, and I just thought I was, I thought that was it. <laughs> and I was just crying, and I was so sorry. <laughs> I was so sorry for everything. And I just reflected over those last couple hours in that field. I reflected on all these thoughts that like, I, I regret so much of what I've done recently. But what this is, is who I've always been. And I regret me. <laughs> and what I've made of my life. And I'm so sorry. Because you're real. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Because you're real. And I'm sorry. <laughs> And so I'm there, and for some reason, I'm just still thinking about Jesus, and I'm still thinking of all those stories, and I, I just know beyond anything, I just deserve to die. <laughs> like, it was like all at once, I saw all the bad things I ever did my whole life, <laughs> and I know I deserved to die. <laughs> but for some reason, I kept thinking about him, and all I could get out of my mouth in the end was... Jesus saved me. And my mind was screaming and frustrated. How could you even ask that? <laughs> you deserve to die. <laughs> my mind was so angry. The parts of me, the last, the last of me there was just like, how could you even ask that? <laughs> you deserve to die. But something new was there that says, yes, I do. Jesus saved me. <laughs> That's all I said. I just said, Jesus saved me. And then he came. <laughs> he showed up. <laughs> in a way that I had never experienced, in a way I had never encountered, in a way I had never known he could do it. <laughs> If there was someone there with a surveillance camera, I don't think they would have seen exactly what I saw. I don't think they would have heard what I heard. I don't think that there would be any visual record of what happened next. 
But all I can tell you is I feel like Jesus was there pushing light into my chest. And I am pinned to the ground, rattling and screaming. Because all I feel when he does that is the deepest kind of love I've ever felt in my life. (laughs) Because it felt like home. It felt like acceptance. It felt pure and stronger than anything. (laughs) It was so strong, I didn't even think about me anymore for a little bit. (laughs) I was just completely undone and washed away by this. (laughs) And I was screaming because it hurt so good. (laughs) It was like he was pushing light inside of me. And I remember calling out to him. I remember shaking my head as if he was right in front of me and just yelling, no, 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 this love can't be for me. And at the same time, I knew it was. I was divided in myself. No, 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 this can't be mine. This love can't be for me. I don't deserve this. But knowing as he was doing it that it was for me, it was all mine. He loved me like this. And just because I said no didn't mean he stopped loving me like that. And it was right there, and I couldn't deny it anymore. (laughs) So I got up, and I walked back to my apartment. And I slept for like 16 hours. <laughs> and the next morning I woke up and I was still in some really hard circumstances around some really shady people and some really hurt people and the mess I had made in my life. But it was like I was facing the other direction, walking out of it. Come on, yeah. Come on. It was like I had peace. It was like I was whole. It was like I was loved and accepted And suddenly the ways I was thinking were gone. (laughs) Suddenly the ways I spoke were gone. The thoughts I had were gone. And I felt like someone different. I felt like a new man. I felt like a different man. And you know, sometime later, I prayed. (laughs) Because I started doing that. (laughs) I met God in a quiet time because I started doing those. (laughs) It was while I was reading the word, because I did that too. I stopped and I thought and I reflected and I prayed. And I said, God, how many millions of people the world over, how many billions in all of history needed only what you gave me that night to just believe? Just need that little push. Just need to, that little spark, that little encounter, that little moment, just to know you're real. Yeah. I said, why would you waste that on someone like me? <laughs> I had my shot. I knew who you were, didn't I? <laughs> I thought I did. And I denied you, and I ran away from you, and I made a mess of everything. <laughs> why would you use that on me? <laughs> why would you use that encounter on me? I'm sure there were people that were more deserving of that. <laughs> that needed just that little push to really believe and really engage and really become everything you wanted, why would you double back for me? Why would you use that on me? It's because he loves me. (laughs) 
It's because it wasn't a waste. It's because he wanted me. And I knew when I felt his love for me that it was, it was both wholly mine, totally mine, absolutely my possession. His love for me is my possession. I knew that more than I knew anything, except for the second thing, which was that his love is also for everyone else as well. This love is totally mine, but it's also totally for you and you and everyone. And I prayed and I said, God, why, why give me that love encounter? And I felt like he just said, so you can go be that love encounter. So you can go show that. I said, God, people really need your love encounters. And he says, I really know, son, go be it. <laughs> go be the love encounter. Go show him. Go show all of them. I was like, no, 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 you, you don't understand. Like, you really actually showed up for me. <laughs> he said, yeah, I'll really show up through you to them too. <laughs> Go do it. And I said, Lord, I can't do it like you did. <laughs> sure you can. You saw me do it. <laughs> Go do it. Go love them. <laughs> Go love them. And I was like, Lord, I'm not good enough. <laughs> and he says, no, I transformed you. I'm in you now. I'm with you now. Go do it. You can do it. <laughs> How do you know you can do it? Because I just showed you. <laughs> I gave it to you. I'm with you. Let's go do it. Let's go be it for them. Let's go be it for them. Live a life worthy of the calling. Live a life that's worth it. Do something with these encounters, guys. Getting ready to close right now. But I want us to remember our encounters. Both when he first met us and even what we've received this weekend. We get these encounters, they're ours. They have our name on it. They're just for us. They're ours to hold on to. But that's, they're also for them. Yeah. <laughs> they're for one another. Yeah. The encounter is not enough if we don't share it. Yeah. <laughs> the encounter is not enough if it doesn't change us. It's not enough if it doesn't inspire our actions and our words and our thoughts and our dreams. <laughs> it's not enough. I think the encounter has two parts, the revelation and the application, the expression. <laughs> the revelation and the expression of the encounter, it's two parts of it. You get encountered, you become the encounter. Mm-hmm. I don't care if your encounter feels smaller. I don't care if your encounter feels different. You were encountered by a real God this weekend, all of you. Mm-hmm. Go be that. <laughs> go share that. Take what you've learned and go the places I can't go. <laughs> go the places that we can't go. Go into your families, go into your workplaces, go into your school, go into your streets and be the encounter. Like Paul and John, when they said, hey, gold and silver, I don't have for you, but what I do have, I give. Maybe someone else has the gold or silver to give, but, but Peter and John, they had it what that guy needed. Yeah. You guys all have what someone else needs. I'll be the gold or silver guy here. You be the healing, the crippled guy over there. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> you can reach who I'll never reach. <laughs> Only you. Because God's using you. And there's a blessed responsibility, a blessed call to actually do something with what he's shown us. We should go do that. <laughs> as we leave. 
as we process all these amazing ways that the Lord has just poured into us, we should look for ways that we can pour back out. So that when we find people, we can say, I don't know about that stuff, but what I have, it's all yours. And this is it. (laughs) This is how the Lord met me. This is how he changed me. This is how he can change you. This is what love looks like. This is what strength looks like. This is what valor looks like. This is what compassion looks like. This is what mercy looks like. And I demonstrate this to you because it was demonstrated to me. You don't need to sermonize everything. Maybe the Lord reminded you of how much he's shown you mercy this weekend. And maybe you're going to have really stubborn coworkers or family this weekend. And you can show mercy. And you don't have to stand on a pedestal and say, it's only because of Jesus that I do this right now. I'm having mercy, all right? You can show mercy like he did with grace. You can be that encounter for them. And that might be shocked by the encounter. It might move them. It might change them. Because maybe the last thing they expected was mercy. And that's all you gave to them. Because that's all that was given to you. However you were encountered, go be the encounter. Let his spirit move you. Let it take root. Let the transformation be real and finish its work. (laughs) Because there's people out there that need this. And sometimes the Lord will just show up (laughs) by himself. But sometimes he just says, I'm sending you. I'm sending you guys. You're the way I want to reach them here. I'll reach this guy over here like this because that's how he needs to be reached. But them, they need you. (laughs) They need all of you. Thank you for listening to the Crux Podcast Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit SummitSanMarcos.com for other exciting content from Summit Church.